Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Now we are uh, getting ready to start a new series, as April mentioned at the beginning of our service. It's called Happy, What It Is and How to Find It. I don't know about you, but, but for me, uh, there's a lot going on in our world right now. And, and I just want to be happy. I, yeah, I just, I, just want, I just want to have joy in my life. So today's sermon is called, um, Nothing Can Make You Happy. That's kind of a really uplifting thing to start out this happy series, right? You know, talking about what does it mean to be happy, and, and we know that, that nothing really can make us happy. I was doing a little research, and and was thinking about songs that we sing. Uh, if, if you have uh, grown up, which all of us have, uh, one of the songs that you may have sung as you were little was a song, If You're Happy and You Know, Clap Your Hands. It's amazing how y'all do that. <laughs> now that that's one of the songs, and, and, and we smile when we sing that song, right? Well, I was thinking, I, I was doing a little research about other songs that had happy in it. And, and there was a report, uh, there was an article that came out in Billboard magazine in uh, 2014, and that's when an artist by the name of Pharrell, am I saying that right, Pharrell? Pharrell? His name, yeah. <laughs> he came out with a song called Happy. It was in the Minion movie and everything, and they did a, uh, shortly after that hit number one on the charts, Billboard did an article about the top 20 happy songs of all time, okay? Because I mean, that song came out in 1914, and it was, it was like 1988 was the last time a song with the word happy in the title hit number one on the Billboard charts. Okay, so we're going to do a little test. I, hopefully this will work. We've been having a lot of technical issues today, so it's not Brian's fault if it doesn't work. But Brian's going to play one of the songs. These are the top five happy songs of all time. Okay, let's try the first one. They know it? Okay, stop. What? What? What's the name of it? If you want to be happy, yeah, that's by Jimmy Soul, and that came out in 1963. That was the fifth most popular happy song, okay? Number four. Let's do number four. Okay, Cotty Francis. Everybody know the title? Okay, the title is My Happiness, 1958. Okay, so that's number four. 
Okay, number three. I can't hear what you're saying out there. I, probably a good thing. Okay, go ahead, Brian. <laughs> I didn't know this one, but, but this was number three. The Happy Organ by Dave Baby Cortez in 1959. Okay, y'all should get number two. Go ahead, Brian, number two. Don't worry, be happy. Bobby McFerrin in the cocktail soundtrack, 1988. That was the last one before Farrell's happy song in 2014 that hit number one. Okay, and the most famous happy song is this one. What is this? The Turtles, happy together in 1967. See, even if we just listen to these songs, we just have a, a, a smile on our face because it, it brings us joy inside. Okay, you can go ahead and cut it off. I'm done being happy now. You know, I did a search on uh, Google for ways to be happy, and I found a whole bunch of articles. Articles that said, you know, 10 ways to be happy, 8 ways to be happy, 7 ways to be happy, 12 ways to be happy, 15 ways, all of these different articles are saying, this is what you need to do to be happy. My favorite one was this one article. It says, don't try to be happy. We're programmed to be dissatisfied. Isn't that great? All of these things tell us what we should do and, and how we should be or, or not be happy. That brings us to our scripture for today. Uh, before we get to our scripture, we're going to give you a little bit of background of the person who wrote this passage. Uh, uh, history tells us that, that Solomon, King Solomon, is the one who writes the book of Ecclesiastes, which could lead to another song that you all are probably familiar with, the whole turn, turn, turn song. But we're not talking about that today. We're talking about other stuff. We're not happy today, darn it. <laughs> Sorry. But so uh, Solomon, if you remember his story, he is the son of, of King David, and, and he was elevated to the throne after David died. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, we, we hear about a conversation that Solomon is having with God. And in this conversation, Sol Solomon is, I would say he's a little overwhelmed. He, he doesn't really know exactly how his uh, leadership is going to take in, in the kingdom of Israel. And so he's praying to God and he prays for, for one thing. Solomon prays for a discerning mind, or we like to say that Solomon prayed for wisdom. And when we look at the wisdom books in the Old Testament, as the book of Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes, these are all attributed to King 
Solomon. Now, the book of Proverbs is a set of, of sayings that people say that, that Solomon wrote when he was young in his life. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, I, I like to look at it as, as Solomon's grumpy old man phrase, where he's out there uh, in his rocking chair on, on the uh, porch of his castle, and he's yelling at people saying, get off my lawn. So uh, we have this, this difference between Solomon from his wisdom years to his, his grumpy years, if you will. And what, what happened? What all happened in Solomon's life to, to make this be? Well, one of the easiest ways to look at it is that Solomon was tasked to build the temple. See, David wanted to build God's temple, but God told him, you know, you have been a part of wars. You have done things that I don't want you building my temple, so your son will do it. And David gathered a lot of the stuff for the temple, and Solomon is the one who constructed the temple. And I believe it took, it took seven years for the temple to be built in, in, in Jerusalem, then Solomon, in all of his wisdom, what was, what was gained all of the wealth, all of the stature, and everything else that, that you would want to have in life, and he started to build his own house. Now, while it took Solomon seven years to build God's house, guess how many years it took him to build his own house? Fourteen years. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking if it took me seven years to build something and then 14 years to build something else, that thing he built took 14 years is going to be a whole lot bigger and a whole lot more expansive than what you spent seven years building. And that's what Solomon did. And throughout all of this, Solomon accumulated a lot of things. He accumulated wealth. He accumulated stature. He, he accumulated, yeah, a whole bunch of wives and a whole bunch of concubines and everything, but that's for a whole different time, a whole different subject. But he accumulated all of this stuff. And when we get to our passage for today, Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2. Perfectly pointless, says the teacher perfectly pointless. Everything is pointless. Let's let that sink in for just a minute. A guy who has everything, a guy that, that, that people come from, from miles around, continents around, to, to visit him because of, of who he is. He looks at all of the stuff that he has, all of the stuff that, that we are told should make us happy. And he calls it all perfectly pointless. Maybe you're like me and, and you fall into this trap too, where, where you're so busy trying to, to get the next thing or, or, or get the next step up to where you look at things and you go, you know what, all of this stuff that I have, all of the titles, all of the, the things in my life is just perfectly pointless. So, so let's take a look a little bit at what, what, what Solomon calls 
pointless. The first thing he looks at, he talks about work, how work is pointless. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 and 19 says, I hated the things I worked so hard for here under the sun because I will have to leave them to someone who comes after me. He hated the things that, that he accumulated because he knew that once he accumulated it all and all the work that he did, it, it's just going to go to someone else. It's just a temporal thing. We do that with our own work. We, we, we get so wrapped up in our jobs that we realize that it doesn't really make us happy. One of the traps that I get sucked into is a, a trap called uh, productivity. Productivity is something that, that, that I, I really strive for. I want to make sure that I am the most productive in everything that I do. And, and there are a whole bunch of productivity gurus out there that they have websites and they have emails and everything. And, and I've started to realize over the past couple of weeks that I spend more time deleting emails about productivity than I am actually productive. Isn't that sad? See, I, we try to chase something that we think will make us happy, but when it all is said and done, it leaves us hollow inside. Another thing is accumulation. Accumulation, gathering all of this stuff around. Uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 11, The money lover isn't satisfied with money, neither is the lover of wealth satisfied with income. This, too, is pointless. See, he's, he's in this, this grumpy old man phase. When good things flow, so does those who consume them. But what do owners benefit from such goods except to feast their eyes on them? When I was a sophomore in college, I used to walk through a, a Dillard's department store in Wichita, Kansas. And they had a nice little circle that you could walk around, go buy the clothes, go buy the shoes, go buy the electronics. And when I would walk through, I would see this boom box that I absolutely had to have, but it was like $300. And I was like a college kid, and I was going, I don't have $300. Well, there was a sign on the register, and I'm sure you can guess what that sign was. Well, just get yourself a Dillard's credit card. So I got myself a Dillard's credit card, and I was able to buy this little stereo that I had in my apartment. And as I listened to the music and I made the first couple of payments, I got a letter from Dillard's. And guess what that letter said? You are such a great customer. You have made all of your payments, which I think at the time was just two. And we're going to take your $500 credit limit, and we are going to raise it to $1,500. I was in heaven. Oh, my word, I could buy anything and everything I wanted. I went and bought some clothes. I bought some shoes. Then I needed to pay that off. So I went and got another credit card. And that credit card was so good because it gave me checks. And I was able to write a check to Dillard's to pay off that 
card that I had from Dillard's and put it on this other card, which made me get another letter from Dillard saying, you are so good. You paid off your debt. We're raised. And you can see the cycle that started to happen. And that, that cycle started to spiral. And then I realized that, that I wasn't happy. I was in debt. So much so that at one time, I had to file bankruptcy to help take care of the debt that I had. I'm still paying on it. Here in the United States, our credit card balances are now averaging $16,061, leaving the U.S. consumer to owe $747 billion in just credit card debt alone. See, when we chase for stuff, when we chase for things to accumulate, it may make us happy for just a moment, but that happiness is fleeting. That happiness is pointless. And then finally, Solomon talks about trying to build happiness through pleasure. In Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 3, he writes, I said to myself, come, I will make you experience pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But this, too, was pointless. Merriment, I thought, is madness. Pleasure is of no use of all. I tried cheering myself with wine and by embracing folly, with wisdom still guiding me, until I might see what is really worth doing in the few days that human beings have under heaven. See, I think when we seek for happiness and pleasure, it, it gets to a point where maybe work's not making us happy, maybe our stuff isn't making us happy, so, so we try to to do something experiential-wise, or we try to do something with items that, that, that hurt us inside, whether it's alcohol or drugs, or whether it's being tempted with one-night stands or images on the Internet. See, as I told the kids earlier, you know, there's nothing, no thing that can make us happy. When we try to chase after those things, we find ourselves being empty and hollow. And the next thing we do, we, we, we try to reach for that one more thing. We try to grasp that, that thing that may be elusive to us, only to see that it may have been elusive, but that elusiveness may have been there to protect us instead of give us that happiness. Now, I don't like to give a sermon that ends on a down note because, my friends, we are people of good news. And that good news is what Christ has done for us. And Jesus gives us some words about what it is that can truly make us happy. We have those words in Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus says, 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. So what is it that that truly brings us happiness? Well, Jesus tells us, first and foremost, we must seek God. When when we try to seek work or or stuff or, or pleasure, it leaves us hollow. But when we seek first God and God's kingdom, what does Jesus tell us? All of these things will be added unto us. When we seek God first, it then strengthens us and builds us up so that what we do is an outpouring of that love from God. So, so we could love ourselves, and then we can turn that love towards others. So over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three other steps on, on what it means to be truly happy. As April in, invited you earlier, if you would like to get involved with a, a small group, I know we have a couple <clears throat> that are here on campus that are going through the study uh, in, their, in their small group classes, or if you would like just to gather some friends together to do a group. Um, Tracy and I, we have a group of friends that we're gathering on Tuesday nights that we are going through the study together. There are a bunch of uh, leader's guides and DVDs back on this back table. I invite you to pick one up. We don't have to pay anything for them because the church bought them because we want you to be connected, to, to learn how to love God in community so that you can be strengthened in your relationship with God, the relationship with yourself, and a relationship with people around you so that you may experience life and life abundantly. Let us pray. Oh God, as we conclude this day together, we thank you for laughter. We thank you for joy. We thank you for happiness. But God, we pray that this happiness is grounded in you. So that when we try to fill our lives with things that really don't matter, we see that your love is there for us. So guide us and strengthen us so that we don't get caught into the traps of work, of stuff, and just pleasure for pleasure's sake. But to help all that we do, help us stay connected with you and connected with others. So God, we lift these prayers up to you in the name of the one who came to give us life and life abundantly, Jesus our Lord. Amen.